Studying my peers for now. Should I make a dance and snap thumbs? Fast hi hats, 808 back drums. Are we selling our souls for 32 pieces of gold? If it's lacking the soul, how can it remain whole? We make music for stripper poles, but no music to think. That's that short term money that we put in the bank. But the drama's going backwards. I see devolution instead of evolution. This is soul prostitution. The children are fumbling. Even got the elders encouraging, mumbling, watching them stumbling. Day after day is so humbling. Meanwhile, our stock has been plummeting. And they telling me I need to sound like these other niggas. Grown ass men trying to sound like the younger niggas used to have balance. Back in the days, we had talent. Trying to be original was the challenge. Now all these niggas sound the same, and all the beats pound the same. Same cadence, same drums, all that shit sounded lame. 20 niggas trying to sound like Future, and I love rocking Future, but that style's for Future. Think you niggas need a different producer. Hope that bullshit crash your computer. Ain't nothing cool about being a loser. Brothers and sisters. You're tuned into another episode of the Gospel of Malcolm X podcast. I am your host, Brother Eric. As always, it is my pleasure to be back and in the studio once again. I like to take the time out, as I always do, to send my love to all of the listeners and supporters of the Gospel of Malcolm X podcast. Um, it does look like we are seeing a little bit of growth, and I definitely appreciate uh, the support. So today's episode is going to be another one of those. Uh, quick ones, maybe even 30 minutes or less. We'll see how it rolls. I'm uh, going to be covering about two or three topics. The first topic I'm going to be getting into is um, Louis Farrakhan. The Nation of Islam recently brought a lawsuit against the uh, ADL, I believe it's called, which is the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, basically, uh, they're saying that they have wrongly been accused of being uh, anti-Semitic, et cetera. And uh, so we're going to be listening to um, a clip from uh, Farrakhan talking about their upcoming $5 billion, I believe, $5 billion lawsuit. Uh, the next thing we're going to be talking about is um, the schools over in Gaza. The, the Minister of Education in Gaza has decided to officially end the school year as basically so many children have been killed. Um, and I mean, in his words, all the children have been killed, which it, it probably feels that way because it's just that many uh, children have been taken out in, uh, in this unnecessary war. Uh, and then the last thing we're going to be talking about is that Vlad uh, gave his opinion on the war uh, in Palestine and, and gave some solutions, which Uh, some of you may find surprising. Um, and he also criticized Drake uh, for being the most popular Jewish artist in the world and not speaking on this subject at all. And um, also criticized, uh, I think, D DJ Khaled. He criticized DJ Khaled for being the, the most popular Palestinian in the world and not speaking on the subject at, at all. And it, basically he was saying that, you know, he's not asking them to choose a side or anything like that, but for them to be in the positions that they are in and not speak on the subject at all. Uh, it, it, I mean, he makes an interesting point in terms of that. I think that Drake may surprise people uh, if the, the pro-Palestinian, uh, if the pro-Palestinian uh, plight becomes cool, You know, if it becomes an end thing, I would not <laughs> be surprised to uh, see Drake uh, embrace that if it became cool enough, uh, because it seems like uh, Drake follows, flows along with wherever the trends go or whatever is hot. So if free Palestine becomes hot, uh, it's not inconceivable to me to see Drake follow that, that trend. So I'm going to start off with the clip, uh, Louis Farrakhan, 
uh, talking about it. Uh, there's going to be some interruptions because he makes some points in here that I feel like need to be addressed. And we're going to be addressing them uh, just kind of as we go along. So. This is Minister Louis Farrakhan, the national representative of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the eternal leader of the nation of Islam, and that great preacher of freedom, justice, and equality to the black man and woman of America, to the black man and woman in the Caribbean and Central and South America, in Africa, in the Isles of the Pacific, and to our brown and red and yellow brothers and sisters, wherever you are, this message is for you. On the 28th anniversary, of the Million Man March, October 16th, we filed a lawsuit against the ADL and Simon Wiesenthal Center against their leadership Because our desire now is to state our case before the courts and before the world. We are not what they have said we are, and we intend to prove such. Assalamu alaikum. Okay, one second. Prepared me. To receive the insults, the snares, being evil spoken of. All right, so I'm going to uh, pause this here for a second and say, okay, so he stated his reason for filing the lawsuit. I have my suspicions that this is either one, a money play with $5 billion, if they were able to win that, would be significant. And we've seen him make money plays in the in the past with Gaddafi and all of, all of that. So this is either one a money play, two a public a public a publicity stunt. Excuse me. So money publicity or both. And then I feel like it it might be like a clout chasing thing in terms of like. Just saying, hey, we filed this lawsuit. We were able to do this or whatever. But if they were able to secure $5 billion, that is a lot for the advancement of your cult or whatever. And anyway, what does Farrakhan really have to lose? Knows that he is uh, 90. He don't have, he got more time behind him than he has ahead of him. And so just go for it being scarred and bruised by the false charges of anti-Semitism by the Anti-Defamation League. And with their influence over the media, these false charges have been spread throughout the earth. All over the world, I and we have been hated, and I and we are hated the same thing. I have been denied entrance into several countries and have been labeled as persona non grata. I'm presently being called the godfather of hate. And I'm being called one of the leading anti-Semites in America. Myself and my family and those who follow the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad under my leadership have suffered and been scapegoated.
scolded and have lost positions in media, lost positions in business because of the vileness of the charge, even though we are saying that which is absolutely the truth. In the Holy Quran, it reads, and mix not up truth with falsehood, nor hide the truth while you know. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad told us and taught us that hiding the truth leads to all kinds of mischief-making and vile behavior, hatred, and even death. So we thought, it is now time for us to legally respond to these false charges. 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, the Jews of that day caused the Roman authorities to join with them to bring false charges against Jesus as he was the last prophet to the Jews. 2,000 years later, some members of the Jewish community, the ADL and others, have met with White House officials and some members of the United States government to formulate a strategy that would enable them to make laws and policies that would allow them to arrest me or others who are falsely accused of being anti-Semitic. My teacher told me, take plenty, brother. And he told me that his teacher, Master Farad Muhammad, told him, you must take plenty. But why? You must take plenty if you are being made to be a savior, a redeemer, a reconciler, a resurrector. You must have the patience through your suffering to bring about the salvation and the transformation of the lives of those to whom you are missionary. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught me of the three most hated persons in the world. The first being a rich person who wishes to share his riches with those less fortunate. Second, those who are considered rich in knowledge and wisdom who want to share that knowledge and that wisdom with the ignorant. Lastly, the most hated of all persons is the man to whom the Holy Quran is revealed. Why? Because the revelation of the last great book of prophecy and teaching the Honorable Elijah Muhammad the meaning of all of the prophecies that are found in the Bible and the Holy Quran gives that man the power to bring the whole of religion together in oneness and to bring about the end of a world like this and the civilization of those who are the arch deceivers who rule this world. So Paul said, we war not against flesh and blood, but we war against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. I am a follower of such a man, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who was taught the meaning of all of the prophecies found in the Bible and Holy Quran. So while he was among us, he said, if any scholar or scientist 
could prove him wrong. He would pay out of his brother's best pocket $10,000 for every word that you could prove that was wrong, and he would pay with his life or life. As his student, whom he sat in his seat in July of 1972 and anointed me and commissioned me to make his great commission known, I issue the same challenge. If you can prove me to be a liar in my recitation of his teachings and my understanding of what he said to me when he brought me to the great wheel in 1985, if you can prove me to be a liar, don't have to try to kill me. I was willing to pay with my life. He saw that the ADL and others have joined with the U.S. government to produce a legal justification for punishment okay. of anyone. So I wanted who to is, uh, let me see if I can stop this here. So I wanted to interrupt that part where he says that you know he would pay out of pocket and all and all of this other kind of stuff. So I want to tell you guys a, a brief story. So basically, uh, there was a time FBI wanted to know who Elijah Muhammad's teacher, Farrar Muhammad, was. So they uh, they did a lot of background, a lot of research or whatever, but they put out a story that was kind of whatever in terms of his, his background. And so I think they said that he was from Turkey, but they put out the story because they knew it would have Elijah Muhammad respond, which he did. Elijah Muhammad responded. He's like, no, this is not his, his background. I'll give $100,000 to whoever can say that this is true. So there was a woman who was actually married to Farad. She came out asking, basically like, hey, give me that $100,000. I was married to this man. I can confirm who he is. Basically, she gave the whole background that he used to live together in Colombia the whole nine. If you want to listen to the Far Muhammad episodes, that's a nice uh, lengthy episode for you guys to check out. Anyway, that money was never put in any type of escrow. He never paid or anything. Like this woman was actually married to Farad. So this is how you know it's just all, it's all cap. Leader of the Jewish people and an anti Semite. We decided to bring a lawsuit, which we filed on Monday, October 16th, the 28th anniversary of the Million Man March. We summoned the lawyers in the nation of Islam who have also suffered by just being attached to me and the nation. But suffering is what we all have done. Yet, you cannot prove that anyone who is a follower of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad under my leadership has ever done anything of hatred toward the community of Jewish people, white people, any people. You cannot find one word in the tens of millions of words that God has guided me to speak in 68 years of my service ever call for the death of those who call themselves okay so he says you can't find one word and I'm going to pause him there let me get my time stamp can't find anyone any word anytime where he ever, in his 60-plus years of doing his thing, where he called for the death of anyone that calls themselves Jews, right? So we're going to pull up sometimes where he did speak about death. And I'm going to first uh, pull up a clip where he was asked about his involvement in Malcolm X's murder. 
No, I was not in any way involved in his murder. I said such a man as Malcolm is worthy of death. And were it not for Elijah Muhammad's faith in God, it would have been so. Elijah Muhammad told all of us as his followers to leave Malcolm alone and leave Malcolm to Allah. I was in Newark at that time, the time of his assassination. It was my turn to be rotated into Newark to handle the preaching or the teaching that day. And that is my reason for being in Newark. Betty Shabazz never said that Farrakhan was a plotter in the death of Malcolm. But she said that Farrakhan helped to create the atmosphere. And how did he no. help create that atmosphere? I of course, with, with words, right? Of course it would have been with words, because that's all he's ever, ever really been about, is words. So I'm going to play a 1972 clip in which he praises the killers of Malcolm X once again. Malcolm didn't know what he was playing with. No, he didn't. He didn't know what he was playing with. This, this clip is from January 22nd, 1972. Don't jump up against the divine messenger of God like he did. He asked to die. And God obliged him. Now, you don't understand. Like someone said, did, did you Muslims kill Malcolm? So the messenger said, and what if we did? detail describing in a way that I don't think had ever really been described before Malcolm's assassination. Now mind you, he was in Newark and he cops out to being in Newark. Um, I think he says that in the other one that he was in Newark and that it was his time to be rotated into the schedule or whatever. He, he tries to explain why he was in Newark when Malcolm was assassinated, which happened to be the same area uh, where his assassins were from, where Malcolm's assassins were from. So he describes in vivid detail uh, that the, the men that were guarding Malcolm were ducking and da-da-da-da. I believe, and it, evidence seems to suggest, especially since the killers were from Newark and they went back to Newark after they did the hit, that Farrakhan got the play-by-play. -play. He got the play-by-play, -play, the inside scoop of what went down. And he praised it. You heard him say, these weren't no cowardly men. These were fearless men. Came in there and killed Malcolm in front of his wife and his four little girls. Knowing that there wasn't a search on the door for guns. Knowing that Malcolm's security were not even supposed to have guns on them. So it's not like they walked into a shootout. And here's another reason why we know that these weren't fearless men. If you listen to the interview from... Uh, Thomas Hare, the one that was captured at the scene and eventually told everybody who his accomplices were. Thomas Hare from Newark, New Jersey, uh, fired, he was there firing a pistol. He got his ass whooped at the scene. They was able to capture him at the scene. He wasn't able to escape like the other uh, assassins. So, Uh, he when he did his interview, he was saying that they had been planning Malcolm's murder for months. Uh, but then Malcolm went out of the country. 
But he talked about this one day, and I've played this clip on here before. He talked about this one day where they rode by Malcolm's house, and they was going to try to kill him at his house. But they saw that it was heavily guarded, so they had to change their mind. This is how you know that they aren't fearless men, because they didn't go up in there on a suicide mission. They went up in there because they knew that there wasn't any men on the door. I mean, there wasn't any men on the door that were searching for guns. and that Malcolm's men were not supposed to have guns. So they thought that they, were, they weren't going to get shot back at. Them getting shot was not a part of the plan. It was supposed to be a situation where Malcolm's people were unarmed, they were armed, they would be able to come in there and kill them and escape without anybody being able to shoot them or retaliate. And that plan somewhat backfired because two of the, the assassins were shot. Uh, but one was able to escape uh, despite being shot. Let me finish this clip out and then I'll go back, let Farrakhan finish out. And then we'll talk about our other two topics and we'll wrap up. Looks like we're at about the 26 minute mark. Oh, is that a time to protect the man and you say it's a leader? You damn punk, you don't have no leader. If it's your leader, why the hell would you stand up for him? Now all of a sudden they can serve you a dead man on a platter. And you eat him up as your leader. Not knowing nothing about him while he was alive and know less about him now that he's dead. Malcolm's momentum carried him to his death. All right. So that, that's Farrakhan there. So now we're going to go into his 1993 Savior's Day speech. Once again, speaking on my... Now look at the wisdom of God. Years I'm just about finished now. Malcolm went out of the nation. We all were hurt. At least I can speak for myself. I loved him. Next to Elijah Muhammad, I didn't know anybody greater than Malcolm. It hurt me that he would go out of the nation. But then the worst hurt was Malcolm going to Mike Wallace, telling Mike Wallace, and listen to the words now, Elijah Muhammad fathered children from his teenage secretaries. So Malcolm raised it to a moral issue. Listen to me carefully. Putting himself in the righteous position, putting his teacher in an immoral position, but then he's going to the white man to tell the white man what his leader and teacher had done. Okay. Now let's address let's address this part because this is a this is a common nation of Islam cop out in terms of, oh, Malcolm put it in the media with the white man. First of all, y'all were, were trying to kill him and then didn't y'all not go to the white man in order to take his house from him and, and take him into court? When Malcolm first revealed that Elijah Muhammad uh, fathered all of these children with his teenage secretaries, he was outside of the courtroom because the nation of Islam had brought him into a court proceeding to kick him and his family out on the street so they could be homeless. So Nation of Islam went to the white man first and was always in the media taking pot shots at Malcolm X, who had up until that point really had avoided commenting on it when he left the nation in March of that year. He didn't say anything disrespectful about Elijah Muhammad. He said that he ran into leadership challenges within the nation that forced him out of the nation said that he could better serve Elijah Muhammad's purpose outside of the nation. Very political statements. Said nothing negative about Elijah Muhammad. Nothing about babies. None of that. Right? All of that stuff came much later as he began to feel the pressure for them trying to kill him. And he's sitting thinking like, okay, well, why are they trying to kill me? So he's like, well, if y'all going to kill me over this, I might as well go ahead and fully reveal everything, which I think he would have got around to eventually anyway, but it, because it was a criminal organization, but I think he was trying to get himself established first. He was never able to get 
either of these two organizations off the ground because of the momentum of day to day of basically these people calling his house and terrorizing his house. Nation of Islam really acted like a, a terrorist group at this particular time. I mean, they talk about Hamas and Hezbollah and uh, Al Qaeda and the Taliban, the nation of Islam long before those organizations existed, terrorized the fuck out of Malcolm's family, calling constantly talking about killing them, bombing his house, trying to stab him outside of his house, trying to uh, shoot him on the highway, constantly calling and threatening, etc. Complete terrorist. Um, I'm going to let this, this continue to play out, but they, they commonly use that, that as a cop out. And then Farrakhan knows that he's done interviews with Mike Wallace as well. Um, and one thing he doesn't say is that, which is, which is very interesting, right? What you would expect him to say if this was true. One thing that Farrakhan doesn't say, he says, Elijah, uh, Malcolm said that Elijah was with teenage girls. Blah, 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 blah. That hurt me. Two things he never says. He never says that Malcolm lied on Elijah, and he, ne and he never says that the Nation of Islam did not kill Malcolm X. He did it with Mike Wallace. You can't deny this. This is actual fact. He came here to Chicago and went to Cupsonet. When has Cupsonet been a friend of black people? And he told Cup, I thought he was a man. Father's children wouldn't, in other words, kept it a secret and whatnot. I found that, that he was less man than I thought. Oh, he dogged the message. The man that took him from a pimp, from a hustler, from a stick-up man, and sent him before the world. Now he's dogging his teacher. What do you think we felt? Elijah Muhammad wasn't just a leader. That's our spiritual guide and father, brother. You don't have to order me to kill you. If you attack my father, my orders come from my love. I want you to hear me good because every Muslim that loved Elijah Muhammad would have killed Malcolm if we had gotten a chance. No, I don't need no damn applause. I want you to think now. We didn't incite that. Malcolm incited that in us. He would have been dead. He would never have lasted a year. Elijah Muhammad told us, leave him alone. Leave him alone. To okay, so I will uh, go ahead and conclude this clip there so that I could go ahead and, uh, and begin to wrap up. But when, it, oh, I, I got to actually let it play for a few more minutes. But I'll, I'll pause it here to say, when has he ever had to tell the Nation of Islam to leave any white organization alone, any Jewish organization alone? When has he ever had to tell them to stop terrorizing any white family? All of this terrorization, all of this stuff that they have going on with, with uh, Brother Malcolm, they were willing and ready to terrorize any black family, whatever. Elijah Muhammad even went as far as uh, having statements to say, none of you 22 million Negroes can do anything to me. Um, but when has he ever had this confidence? You see, he had no problem disrespecting Malcolm X and his death, no problem talking bad about Martin Luther King and his death, saying that Martin Luther King um, died and went to hell with the white man. But when Kennedy died, he said that he was mourning Kennedy. So. Let me let that finish playing, and then we'll begin to wrap up. Hold me to my face. Leave him alone. Elijah Muhammad or not, that if you attack him, I'll kill you. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I'm not a killer. But neither are you. But if somebody attack what you love, 
Each one of you in here would become a killer instantaneously. Am I lying? Mother, let somebody look like they're attacking your child. Here's a woman who fought a bear because the bear snatched her baby. And she ran the bear down screaming until the bear dropped her baby. Love casts out fear. We don't give a damn about no white man law when you attack what we love. This is the real sick part coming up. And here. frankly, it ain't none of your business. What have you got to say about it? Did you teach Malcolm? Did you make Malcolm? Did you clean up Malcolm? Did you put Malcolm out before the world? Was Malcolm your traitor or was he ours? And if we dealt with him like a nation deals with a traitor, what the hell business is it of yours? Now he's going into you justification. You shut your mouth and stay out of it. Because in the future, we're going to become a nation. And the nation got to be able to deal with traitors and cutthroats and turncoats. The white man does deals with his. The Jews deal with theirs. So now he's uh making that comparison and you see how how vile it uh it was and then now when you go back and listen to him talk about the ADL and that whole nine uh how calm it is so give me just a second we're going to switch back to this and then like we got two more clips captain you've heard my private conversations my conversations at the dinner table and you've even heard me praying. But you cannot find me even praying like David did for the death of his enemies. David, who is the sign of the promised Messiah. Boy, I have thought about such prayers, but I have never uttered them. Because I, like the God I serve, do not take pleasure in God's killing of the people who are sinful or us for our sins. My teacher, Elijah Muhammad, taught me that he came to save us from our sins. And he added the sins of white people that we have been nurtured under and iniquitous people who have made us into themselves. And this is our reason for going before the courts to attempt with the help of Allah, God, to prove our innocence of such false charges and that the guilty who charge us with their crimes are the ones who should suffer the punishment of judgment because they lie. They lie on a good man who has never been arrested, never condemned as being a liar, never done anyone evil, and you wish death for me and for those who follow me. So we think the time is right. We've taken a plenty, and you cannot find us calling for the death of any Jewish person, harming one hair on their head, putting a swastika on any synagogue, or walking in protest at their stores and businesses, asking people not to trade with them. But this they have done to us. So we say, enough is enough. 
As-salamu alaykum. Okay, so that's that. I am going to uh, move into the uh, the Vlad section now. So Vlad did this interview with, um, what's this guy's name? Uh, T.K. Kirkland. And in the interview with T.K. Kirk- Kirkland, he ends up explaining to T.K. Kirkland uh, what's going on with the Israel-Palestine uh, war. Um, and so he gives his breakdown. I found his breakdown to be pretty interesting. Um, it's more reasonable than um, anything else I've heard. Um, let's see if I can find it. Looks like he has T.K. Kirkland on college. Okay, no, no, no. Okay, I got it right here. These are those rum. And so in case you guys don't know, T.K. Kirkland is a comedian. Um, he's not really well up on. I mean, I think everybody has seen these conflicts, but he's not really uh, well versed in terms of why they're fighting. Killed. Israel slash Palestine, however you want to call it, during that time was an English colony. Okay. And it was a bit of a mess. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of war in that region and so forth. And it was decided that the United Nations decided to give that region to the Jewish people, you know, as their homeland. Okay. The Palestinians who were living there at the time did not like that. Okay. Because they were living there. And then at that point, war started to break out where a lot of the Arab countries. Because they felt their land was taken. They felt their land was taken. The other other Arab Muslim countries had a problem with it. And originally, Israel was a very small place. Okay. Right? All the countries attacked it. Israel's military ended up beating all those countries and took over the land of all those countries. Is there something valuable there? Well, it's land. Oh, so it's just land. It's land. Okay. (laughs) Very valuable, okay. right? It's only a limited like, amount. No, what I'm saying is that not oil. They're not fighting for oil. Not exactly. No, it's just okay. land. Okay. And Israel expanded in size okay. a lot during that region, during okay. that time. And those countries were like Syria and so forth. They're still very upset because they lost a bunch of very prime real estate okay. during this time. But Israel during that time be- started to develop very quickly and mm-hmm. became a first world country. You've never been to Israel, right? No, never. It's like America. Okay. Internet. Great roads, retail stores, wow. whatever. But when you go into some of the other Arab countries, they're still a little bit, you know, third world. Okay, okay. You know, you would, I remember going across the border from Israel into Egypt, and it was a whole different story. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. It was just wasn't as developed of a country. So, unfortunately, you know, and, and I feel like the Israelis took too much land. Okay. And they could have compromised and give, given some of it back, but but they didn't. Okay. And that's so where a lot of the— land? It's over land. So over land. And from the Israeli point of view, like, well, we, we won it. Y'all attacked us in the war. We took the land, whatever. And from then, well, you know, y'all took our land. Y'all didn't have to keep it all, all that shit. They could have given it back. And then Israel, the, the Palestinians are sort of caught in the middle of all this. Okay. Because so these yeah. people are dying over the land. Over land. Yeah. And Hamas, whose last election happened around 2005, 2006, is... A political now it's not just over land, so I think that this part could be a bit confusing. It's not just that they lost the land; it's that they don't have any opportunities, they don't have jobs, they're being starved. The Israel Israel calculates how many ca- calories can come into their country for them to be fed, and they calculate it just above the starvation level. So it's just above the level of starvation. Right. And and this is how they they calculate it. Just above the level of starvation. So it's like I heard someone describe it as starvation plus. And this is, you know, this is the calculation. Like somebody is calculate calculating the amount of calories that your children can eat. And that it's not like they're giving them like an abundant amount of, of calories like 20,000 calories per child or something like that. It's like, no, just above the, we haven't seen a single fat Palestinian over there. Like nobody is, is, is overweight. And I'm not saying that people need to be overweight, but damn, it doesn't seem like this is a place where there is an abundance of food. 
Um, so they're being de deprived of being able to see their family in the West Bank, being able to travel freely. They don't have a nation. They don't have a state. So it's not just the land. It's the complete. Um, they're being uh, just basically choked. And, and then in the, in the case of Gaza, they're in, in one of the most densely populated places considered to be by people that have visited there just a complete open air prison. So it's not just the land. It's the fact that they're being choked. Most of the people alive at this time haven't probably even, they've never been to Israel and haven't lived on the land to, to miss it, you know, because they've been in Gaza and the West Bank all, all their life. So they haven't, they haven't been on the land per se to even miss the land. It's just that they don't have opportunities and then they have Israel as a government oppressing them, denying them opportunities, can't travel into Israel, can't travel to the West Bank, can't travel outside of Gaza, can only eat what we what we tell you to eat. We don't allow enough fuel to come in. This is another thing that happens. They don't allow enough fuel to come in for them to keep their electricity operating. So they have constant power outages throughout the day as well. Because they don't, they don't, Israel regulates how much fuel they're able to get in as well. So they're, they are being completely oppressed. It's not just the land, it's the oppression. Most of these people haven't lived on the land. Of course, they feel like the land is theirs and it was taken from them or whatever, but they haven't lived on, on that land because they've been concentrated into Gaza and into the West Bank, et cetera, since like 48. So they haven't lived there. It's the day-to-day -day life of starving and, you know, not having access to opportunities and resources. They have one of the highest unemployment rates in the world. Party with an army associated with it. Okay. You know, some people call them a terrorist organization. Some people don't or whatever else. But Hamas doesn't view Israel as a legal state. Mm -hmm. They just look at them as occupiers. So they don't talk directly to Israel. They have to talk through a third party. So there's no communication. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Right. And then the bad feelings. So then when Hamas took over Gaza as the ruling party, Israel was like, well, this is a big problem because Hamas has a long history of bombings and terrorist activities now, and so Hamas? forth. who is Hamas? is a Palestinian organization. So that's an organization, not a city, not no, a country. No, it's an organization, okay. a group of people. Hamas, okay. Who basically wants to take... Israel over and make it all Palestine. Okay. Okay. Which honestly Gaza is a is an area okay, on so the Hamas border of Israel. People, a yes. group of people. Gaza is an area. Area in Palestine. Okay. All right. Palestine is one nationality. Palestinians, yeah. Palestinians one nationality and Israelites is another nationality. Pretty much. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay. Right. And okay. you know, you gotta understand because people think, oh, it's just it's white versus brown. No. Like forty percent of Israel is so Sephardi that's good to say that because yeah. I think some people think it's racism. No, it's about land. Or yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. So it's it's a mess, man. There's no real good solution. So and here's I my think, question: Glad you said that. Yeah. What do you think they should do? What I think they should do. Yeah, what do okay, you think here's where it gets What I think they should do is say, "Listen, we're going to give up a whole bunch of this land." and give it back to Palestine. Y'all can have your own country. We're going to recognize you as a country if you recognize us as a country. Here's a bunch of land that we took that we're going to give back to you. A bunch of prime real estate that we're going to compromise and everyone can live where they want to live in peace on the land they want to live in. But, you know, but, but it gets more complex than that because Jerusalem is inside of Israel and the old city of Jerusalem is the main religious center for three of the world's major religions. Okay. The Jews all, you know, all, all want it because it's a very important part to, to, to the Jewish religion. Yes. The Muslims, there's a section. It's actually, Jerusalem is carved up. There's a Jewish section, a Muslim section, and a Christian section. All in the same damn city? All area? in the same damn city. Wow. And the Jews can't go in the Muslim section. The Muslims can't go in the Jewish section. The Muslims have what people consider sort of like the best part because the rock of life, that, that big. $5,200 is 
subsidy Got relief add, is guys, available for people second. living in America. Americans big golden dome yeah. is in the Muslim section, and that's where Muslims believe God. Well, everyone sort of Jews and Muslims and Christians believe that God made the earth in this right there at that point, okay. and there's a big rock. Holy there. land in a sense. It's holy. It's okay. all holy. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So it's like. The Muslims don't want to let go and say, okay, we're done with Jerusalem because it's an important place for them. Understand. It's one of the holiest places for their religion. So everything is based on everybody's beliefs. Yes. Dang. It's a mess. You're never going it's to a mess, and that's down. why it's been going on for so long. Okay. People don't like to compromise when it comes to God. Yeah. This is why I'm not religious. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Me, For me, it's like, listen, it's just real estate. That's what I'm saying. Give it to like, whoever. Right. Fuck it. You're going to kill someone over, over some dirt <laughs> and some rocks because it's dusty and hot out there. Okay, so I will, I will um, just kind of add. So I don't completely disagree with everything that Vlad is saying. I think that he's given something where it, it could potentially be worked with because he's saying, hey, give back a portion of the land, let them have their own country, et cetera. This is far more, I guess, liberal, you would say, compared to somebody like Benjamin Netanyahu who came on the UN floor with a map that had no Gaza and no Palestine. I mean, and no Gaza, no West Bank. And you can see now he's making every effort he can to ethnically cleanse the Gaza area. However, to say that it's just real estate is not, I, I think Vlad is missing how much these people have been exploited. Yeah. But, you know, this is where Jesus was crucified. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go around Jerusalem and you see all the steps when he was carrying the cross. Oh, he stumbled right here and there's a big plaque right there. Oh, wow. you know, this is where so-and-so gave him some water. Okay. Plaque right there. In fact, when I was there, um, we actually went to the Church of the Sepulchre, which is the church was built over the spot where Jesus was crucified. Okay. And there's a tomb that allegedly has Jesus' body in there. We're not sure. But, you know right. what I'm saying? But okay. it was built on top of the crucifixion. So... The Christians don't want to give it up either. So it's yeah. it's a big mess. It sounds man. like a big, like I said, I don't discuss religion, but I'm glad you brought it because when <laughs> I watch the news, I'm lost. Well, now you know a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm lost. So I've been hear, there, man. I've been there. Yeah. So to I've, hear it. Yeah. It's a, it's a breakdown. And I'm sure people can, say, oh, Vlad's wrong. It's really like this. But this is generally the story. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, me and you businessmen, we're not negotiating. Like, yeah. We get as long as everybody walks away happy, right? Well, well a great negotiation means this that, ain't happening. It's too much confusion. A great negotiation means that everyone is unhappy yes. with the final outcome, right? Which which means which is the mark of a great negotiation. Yes. If one person's happy, the other person's not happy. That was a bad negotiation. That's so true. All the negotiations I've done when I've dealt with court situations, I was pissed off afterwards, and the other party was pissed off. But ultimately, we all walk away and we're done. Right. So so, at some point, I'm hoping that they do. Because it's about, man, let me tell you, it goes with real life. The yep. goal, when you go through something, is can you obtain, and we talked about this before, peace of mind. Well, what's interesting, I'm going to say this one thing and get off the topic mm -hmm. because we're kind of going too deep in this. Okay. Back in 1995, Israel and Palestine were still going at it. Mm -hmm. Shootings, I remember. wars, everything else like that. The head of the general in Israel was a guy named Rabin. The head of Palestine was Yasser Arafat. Mm -hmm. I remember his name. They were both generals. For years, they've been killing each other, their soldiers, over and over and over and over again. Rabin became president of Israel or prime minister of Israel. Mm -hmm. And he was getting old at this point. Arafat was getting old. They both realized that this is going nowhere, and if they want their grandchildren to have some peace, they're going to have to work it out. They went to America. They met with Bill Clinton, and on national television, they shook hands. Nobody could believe this happened. These were arch enemies. <laughs> Each one of them looked at the other one as, a, as the devil, you know, and they shook, they shook hands. And they started the peace process. They started making compromise. They started giving back land. They started saying, no, we're not going to attack you, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. What happened was, Ben had a peace rally in, in, in Israel, I believe in Jerusalem. 
because we went out there when I went to Israel. Okay. And there was a young Jewish guy who was very right-wing and radicalized. He didn't like the peace process. Because a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Not everyone wants peace. Some people are like, no, this is our shit. Right. Fuck these Palestinians or fuck these Jews. No, we're not compromising. You know, like like Hamas doesn't compromise. We don't recognize you as a state. We're not even going to talk to you. Like Some people are very, very right-wing and are not going to bend on their release. And it happens on both sides. Mm -hmm. And there was a young kid who was basically like, you know, Rabin is the devil. He's giving away all our land to these evil Palestinians. And he started beating with these really radical rabbis. And there's a Jewish law that says that if a Jewish person kills other Jewish people, you're allowed to kill him to save, the, to save other Jews. And he was meeting this rabbi and goes, well, you know, Rabin, he's killing Jewish people for this policy, so shouldn't he be killed? And they're like, well, technically, yes. I mean, you can look at it this way, not think anything's going to happen. During a rally, this guy walked up to Rabin and killed him on everybody. And then it all fell apart. All the peace process, everything. That's when Netanyahu came and I think, out, you know, sometime afterwards, who was not trying to talk that peaceful shit. And here we are, you know, 30 years later. That's, I didn't know that part. Damn. It's sad. And so that is a case of a young Jewish guy killing a Jewish leader that was willing to compromise. And then now, basically... Who knows why that guy was killed and who really killed him? That may be a story that I, you know, because just from hearing it off of the the air, you know, from off the air test, it sounds like that guy Robin could have been knocked out just to bring in a Zionist leader like uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and to have this thing in films like this for almost a hundred years now and just keep going. Um, and so that this is going to segue me into my next point. Um, So it looks like uh, one second. So according to uh, Gaza ministry of education announces the end of the academic years, all students have been killed by Israel. The minister of education in Gaza has officially announced an end to the academic year of 2023 and 2024. As all the students have been killed by Israel, in the airstrikes in Gaza. A whole generation has been wiped off the face of this earth. Yet, the world remains silent and watches as this, genofi- as this genocide unfolds. So I, I think that this is, um, this kind of leads into if they had kept going along with um, the peace plans and, and peace talks. But I, I would be interested to know who took this guy out, this, this Jewish guy, um, that was, you know, kind of willing to compromise and willing to work with things. I mean, that is Vlad's version of the story. I'm not saying it's not true, but I have to check it out. Um, I think that to say all the children are, are dead is probably like, a, a, I don't want to say hyperbole, but it's probably a figure of speech. Um, but there's been over like 2,000, for sure, over 2,000 children uh, wiped out in Gaza. And that's just, you know, how can you even carry on class or anything like that with all of these bombings going on? How do, how do you sit in class and try to focus on anything with your family being wiped out every night, bombs dropping all around you, et cetera? So it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I think that pretty much does it for us today, brothers and sisters. Show lasted a bit longer than I expected. Looks like we are actually at the one hour mark or just about. So as always, brothers and sisters, I thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back soon uh, with some more content or et cetera. And uh, definitely share the show out with your friends, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I want this information uh to get out here i try to bring bring together entertaining shows and viable information i know that the early part of the show was probably a bit dry uh with some of the farrakhan stuff and him suing the adl uh but i I felt that 
given that we cover so much Malcolm X um, content here, being that this is the Gospel of Malcolm X podcast, um, I felt that it was necessary uh, to cover that, uh, despite it being a big drive. So as always, brothers and sisters, I thank you so much for listening. Share the show, share the podcast with your friends and family. And as always, um, until the next episode of the Gospel of Malcolm X podcast, peace and love. Studying my peers for now. Should I make a dance and snap thumbs? Fast hi hats, 808 back drums. Are we selling our souls for 32 pieces of gold? If it's lacking the soul, how can it remain whole? We make music for stripper poles, but no music to think. That's that short term money that we put in the bank. But the drama's going backwards. I see devolution instead of evolution. This is soul prostitution. The children are fumbling. Even got the elders encouraging, mumbling, watching them stumbling. Day after day is so humbling. Meanwhile, our stock has been plummeting. And they telling me I need to sound like these other niggas. Grown-ass men trying to sound like the younger niggas used to have balance. Back in the days, we had talent. Trying to be original was the challenge. Now all these niggas sound the same, and all the beats pound the same. Same cadence, same drums, all that shit sounded lame. 20 niggas trying to sound like Feature, and I love rocking Feature, but that style's for Feature. Think you niggas need a different producer. Hope that bullshit crash your computer. Ain't nothing cool about being a loser.